Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to John chapter 21. We're going to study the whole chapter, finish John's gospel this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you Bibles. It's been a wonderful study that we've been in over the last several months, going through John's gospel, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and just being able to look at John's account and narrative on the life and and ministry and death and resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. And of course, over the last couple of weeks, we have been studying about Jesus' crucifixion in chapter 19. And then, uh, as we know, that he would hang on that cross there on Golgotha, the place of the skull for your sins and for my sins, that he would take upon himself as he made atonement for our sins. And then he was put into the tomb that was owned by a religious leader named Joseph from Arimathea. His tomb was close to Calvary. It was in a garden. It had never been used, and Jesus only used it for three days because after three days he would rise from the grave. And in chapter 20, of course, we saw the account of, of the resurrection as uh, it was discovered that uh, Jesus' body was not in the tomb. Uh, Mary would discover, as we saw, Mary Magdalene had turned and she thought what she had uh, seen and who she was talking to was the gardener, but she discovered that it was her Lord that was alive and uh, was talking to her. And so Jesus also would um, appear to the disciples on that first day of the week on Resurrection Sunday as they were full of fear. Remember that Jesus told those disciples that you're all going to be made to run away and scatter because of me this night, that, that night before he would be crucified. And, of course, when they came to arrest Jesus there in the garden, they uh, bound him up, and the disciples would all run away. And, of course, we also saw that Peter would deny the Lord as well. And in that, the disciples on Resurrection Day were still full of fear. They were afraid of the religious leaders, of the Romans, and they're behind a shut door. The door is probably locked, but Jesus would appear to them and show himself to them. And, and so as we see in, in verse 21 of chapter 20, as we read, you might recall that Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so what we're going to read in this final chapter of the, this gospel is that Jesus is going to appear to those disciples once again up into Galilee, and then Jesus will personally restore and call Peter to go out, call Peter to ministry, the one who we saw again that was cursing and swearing and said that he didn't know the Lord. We're going to see the compassion and the, the restoration and the goodness and the forgiveness of the Lord in this chapter. So, Father, we ask that you would just bless this time as we study your word, that this would be encouragement to us, Lord, and as we go through life with failings and shortcomings, and um, Lord, we, we're not what we should be, and um, Father, I just pray that this would be a chapter that touches our hearts, and the message given to us that you're not through with us, and that you desire for there to be forgiveness in, in our lives, and for there to be healing and restoration, and a drawing close to you, and being used by you. So we just give this time in the study of your word right now. I pray that uh, we would just put all other distractions out of our minds and out of our hearts right now, just to hear you singularly, Lord, and to, to be sensitive to your voice and to your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen. So as we read in chapter 21, that after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or that is the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter and Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, of course, that would be James and John. And the two others of his disciples were together. And in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. We do know from Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, that an angel had given that message to the disciples, that Jesus, he's, he's going to go before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, and behold, I have told you. And so the disciples here would make their way to the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and, and there they're waiting for the Lord. And it would probably be a really good change for these guys, you know, because the last few weeks before this time had been very eventful, very stressful for them there in Jerusalem, of course, as they came with Jesus uh, during the time of Passover. And Jesus made his triumphal entry into the holy city of Jerusalem. And the people welcomed him and were waving the palm branches. And they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then a few days later, things seemed to change quickly, which they did. And, and there's the betrayal of Judas. And then uh, Jesus goes to the garden and he's arrested and the disciples all run away. And then there's the denial of Peter and, and Jesus is crucified. And then the resurrection and the reports of him being alive. And he would, you know, manifest himself to those disciples. So these guys have gone through a lot over the last you know, a couple weeks at this time of John chapter 21. And at this time, they're kind of, I believe, unaware of the future, a little bit wondering what's going to happen next. And I'm sure that it was nice for them to kind of get out of town. You know how that is? To more familiar, more quiet, more peaceful surroundings. And there were to be waiting on the Lord just as it was instructed for them to do. And I think that at this time that Peter, he gets a bit impatient and he says, I'm going to go fishing. And we know from the Gospels, of course, that several of the disciples were fishermen from that area. Peter, of course, that he lived in Capernaum and Jesus spent more time, I believe, in Capernaum than any other place and in Peter's house more than any other place in Capernaum. So these guys are familiar with this area, and, and Peter, James, and John certainly were fishermen on that sea, and they're there at that time. And of course, it was three years previously that Jesus told Peter that I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, I've said this before, but when I read the Gospels and I look at these guys that Jesus chose as disciples, I know and, and I like the fact that Jesus chose fishermen to be his disciples. Not all the disciples were fishermen, but I think that fishermen were a good choice, and I'll tell you why. Because they would have to go out day after day. There was a real commitment to go out on that large lake and, and fish the lake. And so the commitment was there as a fisherman, just as you and I, if we want to be fishers of men, if we want to be ones that are really growing in the Lord, then we need to be committed to Him. We need to be committed to being used of Him. Just surrender fully to the Lord. Also, they 
these fishermen at this time. They would fish during the calm times and also during the storming times on that lake. And so it is with you and I as we're walking with the Lord, as we're ministering for the Lord. We do it during the, the difficult times. We do it during the calm times. We do it when the sun is shining and the wind is calm or when the wind is blowing and the waves are turbulent in our lives. Fishermen in these days, they had to work together as they would try to catch those fish. There would be those who would be steering the boat and then the others that would work the nets to bring in the haul. And it's the same with us in the body of Christ that we need to work together. As the body of Christ, we need each other to encourage each other and exhort each other to pray for one another, to love one another. And we need the body of Christ to edify the, the believers. The Lord has a ministry for you. And he has gifts, gifts to give to you and, and, and diversity of things for you to do in the body of Christ to be a blessing to others. And then fishermen, they had to be patient. And certainly we who are walking with the Lord in our journey in life with Him and want to be used of the Lord, we must be men and women who have patience waiting on the Lord and waiting for the Lord in our lives. So here in our text, we see that Peter, this, this fisherman from Galilee, I think that, again, perhaps he's a bit impatient. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And whoever wants to come with me can come. And have you ever done something like that? In other words, what I'm saying is, you know that you're to wait on the Lord. You know that you've heard the voice of the Lord, to wait. But you get impatient, and you go, and you go your own way, and you begin to do your own thing. That's what these guys are doing, perhaps. It could be that many Bible commentators and interpreters have suggested that what Peter actually is doing here is he has decided that he's going to go back to his old occupation. He's denied the Lord, and he's probably wondering if he'll ever be used again, if he'll be forgiven. Will I ever have that close relationship with Jesus that I had before? Because you remember that as we go through the gospel narratives, that Peter was the one that's mentioned often in the Gospels uh, as being singled out to go see special miracles with Jesus and being used of Jesus. And, and so Peter had that very close relationship with him, and he's probably wondering what's going to happen. He, he's at least confused, disappointed in himself. Will the Lord ever use me? Is the Lord going to use me as a fisher of men? And there are times that we can feel like that. Maybe someone's here this morning and you feel a little bit like Peter perhaps is feeling with our failures and with our shortcomings. We wonder, Lord, could you ever use someone like me? Do you even desire to use somebody like me? Well, the good news for us or any of you that are feeling that way or if in the future you do feel that way, this chapter is going to bring great encouragement to you. So Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And we see that some of the disciples go with Peter. Thomas, he's there, is he's named. He's the one that you remember in chapter 20, the previous chapter, he wasn't believing the resurrection, even though the, the other disciples, the eyewitness uh, account of Jesus was given to him. They said, we've seen him. And, and, and Jesus even said, touch you know, my hands and and." touch my wounds. And, and it was at first Thomas that said, no, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to have these, 
these unrealistic expectations. And then Jesus would appear to Thomas and say, Thomas, you touch my wounds. You touch the, the, the wound in the side uh, given by that Roman soldier. And he would end up believing. But at first he didn't believe, the skeptic. And then there's Nathaniel who was kind of a wise guy, as we saw in chapter 1 of John. He would be the one that would comment, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, as he was talking about Jesus? And then you have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus would give them the name, the sons of thunder. And the reason that he gave them that name is because these two guys, these two brothers, who of course are fishermen as well, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and consume a village. And then you have Peter here who, of course, you know, cursed and he swore and he denied the Lord. So it's quite a group that's in this fishing boat, isn't it? And the reason I'm pointing that out is because sometimes in some circles of the church or Christianity, you hear these guys being referred to as the great holy apostles. You know, they're attributed that, that title or that's what we picture them as, as being. But we see that these guys here, that they were ordinary guys that fell short of being fully dedicated and committed to the Lord. The Lord's going to do a work in their lives, certainly. But it's interesting here that then there's two other disciples that are in this boat that are not named. And there's been all kinds of, of endless speculation on who these two are. But I suggest to you that the Spirit chose not to reveal these two for a reason. Because maybe these two that are not named represent you and me. It's you and me that are in this boat with our flaws and, and, and our shortcomings. It is you and me that's in this boat. And as they go fishing here on the Sea of Galilee, notice that in verse 3 that it was night and they caught nothing. And of course, when it says they caught nothing, they were skunked. It was a big zero. And that's when, what happens when we go off and do our own thing, when we should be waiting on the Lord. It comes to nothing more times than not. When we decide that we're going to go our own direction, we're going to do our own thing, we're going to go our own way, it's a struggle and it's frustrating. Remember that Jesus had said to these guys that without me you can do nothing. And I think that at this time, as the day is breaking, that these guys are struggling and they're frustrated and they're disappointed. Oh, not just in the fact that they didn't catch any fish and they had labored all night long trying to catch fish. I think it was spiritual as well. And perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you're there now, today, this morning, in this place. And Jesus here is going to minister to them as we read in verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. So they, you know, fished all night. They caught nothing. The day breaks here. And the Lord calls out to them, children. And now Jesus, as he addresses them, children, it's a term of endearment. Don't think that he's calling them, hey, you children or you little kids, you're acting like children. That's what, what I think of you guys. No, he, he's saying, hey, children. It's like he's saying, hey, you guys, hey, boys, 
Have you caught any fish? He, he's reaching out to them. He doesn't lash out at them. He's not rebuking them. He doesn't say, hey, you rebels. Hey, you backsliders. You good-for-nothing disciples. You all ran away on me on when I was arrested. No, he's showing his patience and his love, his long-suffering and his compassion to them. And he says, hey, boys, hey, children, have you caught any fish? Now, I will say this. There is nothing more embarrassing than a fisherman when asked, have you caught any fish, that he has to answer no. No, I haven't caught anything. And you know, those of you who like to go fishing, it's a real hit to the ego. And usually the way fishermen answer, if we haven't caught anything, it's like, well, almost had one. Got some hits, you know, got some bites. Had one, but he got off. But these guys hadn't caught anything. It, it was nothing, and so they have to say no. And in verse 6 we read, And he said to them, Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, why would Jesus say, cast your nets on the right side? I'll tell you why. Because it's the right side. You see, whatever Jesus says is right, wherever Jesus wants to place you and put you is right. And it is where you're going to draw in blessing after blessing. The disciples, at least three of them, are expert fishermen. They made a, a living from being fishermen. We know James and John, that their dad had quite a fishing you know, uh, business that was going on because they had servants. So these guys knew what it was that they were doing and fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus says, cast your nets on the right side, they could have easily responded by saying, what do you mean cast it on the right side? I mean, it's 10 feet difference. We haven't caught any fish. We've been fishing all night. We've been trolling back and forth and rowing back and forth, casting our nets. And this isn't the time. The day's breaking, and, and it isn't the time to be fishing. What do you mean? And we're tired. They could have protested. They could have ignored Jesus. They could have said, you don't know what you're talking about. But we need to remember this. The thing in life that you know better than anyone else, that you consider yourself to be an expert in, always remember this, that God knows more than you do. He knows a whole lot more than you do concerning that area of your life. And I have talked with people, and I'm sure that some of you have experienced this as well, that I've talked with people, and, and they'll tell me about um, a difficulty they're in or uh, a circumstance that they're facing that, that is hard or trials that are in their lives, and I can tell them, you know, what God's Word has to say about that. This is what the Lord says concerning what you're going through. And it always concerns me very much when I get the response of, well, that's what the Bible says, but this is what I've experienced. Or I'm going to do my own thing. Or I've been through this long enough. I, I kind of know what I think I need to do. Kind of like I know better than what God knows. And when I hear that, I think, oh my. You're going to miss out on the blessing. And miss out on truth. And you're going to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. 
and true success and blessing may be just 10 feet away if you just do what the Lord commands. As you put your net on the right side of life, it is so easy for any of us to be just a little bit off and then read God's word for our life and say, well, what difference will that make? Well, it made a huge difference for these guys, and it will with you and me as well. So the question that we can ask ourselves this morning, in the honesty of our hearts, has the Lord been speaking to you about something, yet you've been saying, well, what difference will that make? Or it isn't important, or isn't going to matter, or I'm the expert, I'll go and do it my way or go my own way. A multitude of blessing is waiting for you and me as we obey his command, as we follow after him, as we cast our nets on the right side. And in verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. So John realizes it's the Lord. Hey, this is the Lord. He's done this before. He's the only one that can do this. And Peter, you know, typical of his impulsive nature, he puts his coat on. He dives into the water early in the morning, cold water to see of Galilee, and he swims the shore. And verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, or that is about 100 yards, dragging the net with fish. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Notice that, again, they spent all night straining and, and working and struggling to catch fish, to get fish. And here they come to shore where Jesus is, and he has fish roasting on the fire, cooking on the fire. The very thing that they were looking for and laboring for and striving for, you know, longing for, Jesus had right at hand and ready to eat. Haven't you found that to be true in your own life? That the very thing that you're longing for and looking for and perhaps striving for, Jesus has ready for you. The thing is, we need to go to him. You go to him. And another question to ask this morning is, as we're being spoken to by God's word is, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for happiness? For joy? For wisdom? For direction? Are you looking for, for peace in your heart? Are you looking for true satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness? It is only found in Jesus as we go to him, as we continue walking with him and drawing close to him. So Jesus said to them in verse 10, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So why 153 fish? Again, there's been all kinds of suggestions on the number of 153, and especially those that really get into numbers. And some say that 153 is that added numerical value of the Greek words Peter and fish. Throughout you know, church history, uh, some of the earlier 
uh, comments uh, that were made in church history is that it was 153, I believe Jerome, the church uh, historian, the ancient historian, would say there was 153 because that's the different types or species of fish in the world. Well, as time has gone on, of course, we know that there's much more and many more than 153 species of, of fish. Some have suggested that 100 stands for the Gentiles and 50 for Israel and 3 for the Trinity. So again, there's been all kinds of speculation why there's 153 fish that are mentioned here. I do know this for sure. It was 153. Why? Because they caught 153 fish. That's why. And so they were large fish, the text tells us. And I like that because when the Lord works, know this, that he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we hope or ask. Will you remember that promise that's given to us in the book of Ephesians? But I also want us to notice a very important truth that is given here and illustrated to us here. As we notice in verse 6 again, when they caught all the fish, they were not able to draw in the multitude of fish. Uh, verse 8, dragging the net with the boat. And then in verse 10, Jesus gives the command to bring in the fish. And then verse 11, as we read, that Peter then drags in this net of large fish. The, the net doesn't rip. So when you think about it, it would take a lot of strength for Peter to drag in all those fish. You know, it was hard to do it in the boat and with these guys. So was Peter, uh, you know, Superman at this time? No, he wasn't. But again, it illustrates the truth for us here in this chapter as we read these verses, and that is when God gives us truth, when he gives us a commandment, he's going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. When he gives you a command, he gives you a truth, when he tells you, you know, a precept, whatever God tells you to do, He's going to give you the power and enable you to be able to do it. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that he's going to help you and enable you to do what he's called you to do. So here, Peter, you pull in the net, and that's what Peter does. And then in verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, And who are you? And knowing that it was the Lord... And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So come and dine. Have some fish. Is the invitation that Jesus gives to them. Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, what I just quoted to you, oftentimes is used in evangelistic events, you know, and, and it is a good verse to use it, uh, as people are responding to the gospel message. As the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit is knocking on the hearts of people to come and, and receive Him and to be saved. But also, it is for you and for me today. Because you see, the Lord, he stands at the door. And as you read it in the Greek, it literally means that he stands continually and knocks. He's knocking at the door of our hearts every single day, wanting us to open up our hearts to him, for him to come in and fellowship with us. And that's what dining was a symbol of back then. It was a symbol of, and of intimate closeness and fellowship. It still is today, isn't it? 
When you have a friend come over for dinner or somebody that's special in your life, you don't just come over with only the thought of we're going to stuff our face with food. No, you have them come over so you can fellowship, so you can talk, so you can, you know, spend time together. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He continually is knocking on the door of our hearts every day for us to open up our hearts as we hear His voice to come to Him and dine with Him, fellowship, have closeness with Him on a daily basis. So here these guys are having breakfast with the Lord as He cooked that breakfast for them of fish and bread. And, and then we read that, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. So now Jesus singles out Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? It's the Greek word agape, more than these. Uh, so who are these? Do you love me, Peter? Agape, God's love. Do you love me more than these? And is Jesus, is he pointing to the disciples? Is he pointing, is he saying to Peter, do you love me more than these? Is he thinking of, you know, not the disciples, but maybe he's thinking of the fish. Maybe he's thinking the boat. Maybe the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your friends? Do you love me more than these fish that would be valuable? Do you love me more than your bank account? Do you love me more than your possessions, that is, this boat? Do you love me more than your hobbies, that is, the lake? And you see, Jesus asks us the same thing. Do you love me more than these? Or do you have a divided heart? Peter, do you love me? Now remember, Peter, as he responds here, that Peter, it was in that upper room the night that Jesus would be betrayed, that as Jesus said, you're all going to be made to run away and scatter. And it was Peter that began to boast in his devotion and commitment and love to Jesus before the other disciples. Though they deny you, I never will. I'll stand by you, Lord. I'll die for you. And what ends up happening? He ends up denying the Lord three times. Jesus is going to ask Peter three times, do you love me? It was Peter that denied the Lord three times. And again, Jesus uses that word agape, which I told you means God's love, as many of you know. Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know that I love you, but he uses a different Greek word for love. He uses the Greek word phileo, which in the Greek means brotherly love. You know that I have a fond affection for you, that I have a love for you. I consider you a friend. In other words, as Peter is responding here, he's being honest about his devotion to the Lord. He isn't boasting, Lord, you know all things, that I love you. It isn't what it should be. I'm not going to boast about it. I don't know if I can arise to agape. And Jesus doesn't say, well, forget it then. Forget about you, and if that's all I get is phileo love. No, Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. 
And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus here publicly commissions Peter to ministry. He tells him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. In ministry, there is a feeding of the sheep, feeding of the word of God. Feed my lambs, the young ones. Give them the milk of the word. That's one of the things that this young Timothy for young guys, that I really have a desire to grow them in the Lord, to get them growing in the word of God and committed to devotions and studying the word of God and then serving the Lord. We all need that encouragement. And so feed my lambs, but feed my sheep. And then then give them the meat of the word as they grow. And then tend my sheep. There's a tending, there's a caring for the sheep. Not lording over them. Notice Jesus didn't say, beat my sheep. He said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, you know what, you need to rule over them with a heavy hand. Matter of fact, Peter later on, towards the end of his life, when he wrote his first epistle that we're going to begin next week, we're going to go into the books of First and Second Peter, but in First Peter chapter 5, he writes to those who were pastors, who were shepherds. He's writing to them, and he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, you know, serving as overseers. In other words, you're serving, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flocks. So Peter was one that he would feed the sheep, he would tend the sheep, he would care for the people, and that's what ministry is about, serve them. And the Lord continues addressing Peter in verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying, but what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, in your youth, in your impulsive personality, you did pretty much what you wanted to, Peter, but you're going to grow. You're going to mature. And in your old age, you're going to stretch out your hands. Now, we are told by church history that Peter was in prison for a number of months by the order of Caesar Nero. We'll talk a little bit more about it when we go into 1 Peter, when we kind of give a historical background. Caesar Nero began a persecution of the church of Christians, and particularly against church leaders. He was, we are told, flogged, Peter was, and then he was crucified. And Peter, according to historians, tell us that he would say to the executioner that I'm not worthy to die the same death as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. There are other sources that suggest that Peter's wife was executed before Peter was, and Peter, you know, watched his wife be executed. They made him do that. Also, we know that Peter and Paul were executed about the same time in 67 AD, and there are other church historians that suggest that they were executed on the same day. Of course, Paul was beheaded. In all of that, when Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 
all through his ministry, in the persecution, and even through his death, he didn't deny the Lord. And you see, he glorified God in his death. Do you know that you can glorify God in death? Verse 19 telling us, Peter was told that this, by what death he would glorify God. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing and talking about, we talked about it on Wednesday, it would suggest they get to listen to the teaching, but we talked about what's going on in the Middle East. We talked about the warning that is given to our nation as, as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu came and addressed the joint you know, session of Congress saying, listen, there's impending danger that is in the Middle East. And we know this, we hear the stories of, uh, you know, ISIS that are executing Christians by the hundreds in the Middle East. And it's horrifying to look at it and read about it. Christians being raped and tortured and burned alive and, and put to death, beheaded, being hung, all those things that are taking place. And we know that throughout church history, Christians have been persecuted. And I personally believe that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, that that persecution very well could get worse and worse. Now, we don't see that kind of persecution in this country yet. Will it ever come? I pray that it never does. But I want us to know that we can glorify God in death. But before you glorify God in death, you have to glorify him in how you live. So I want to say this morning, live for him. Be committed to him. Be a light because the world needs to see us as light and truth that we're given to a dark, dark world, a world that is deceived. And so here's Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit that lived a life glorifying God and then he glorified God in his death. He didn't deny the Lord. That's the working of God in a person's life. Here at one time, we read a couple weeks ago that Peter was afraid of a servant girl, as we saw in chapter 18. But God worked in his life to where he would, you know, not give in to the fears of Rome and Caesar Nero. And then this morning, verse 20, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So Peter, he hears this and he's going, Oh, no. And he points at John and he says, well, What about him? What's going to happen to him? Jesus tells him pretty basically, It's none of your business. You just follow me. And that's a good word to us. We can get our eyes on somebody else. We get, you know, hey, what about them, Lord? What, if, what are you going to do with them? What, what's going to happen to him? What about this guy, this gal? And the Lord says, listen, you just follow me. You can pray for them. You encourage them. But I'm going to do a work in them. You just keep your eyes focused on me, and you follow after me. And then in verse 23, the saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So John clarifies a misnomer that he would die because the Lord would come first. And, and Jesus did not say that. He said, I could, but what is that to you? And of course, we know that John was the only of the original apostles, I don't know if you know this, that they believe died a, a natural death. 
he was persecuted through another wave of persecution, through Domitian in the late first century. He was put into a pot of boiling oil, is what some references tell us. It didn't do anything to him, and God spared him and saved him, so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. He was in his 90s, and that's where he received the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and wrote the book of Revelation that's in the back of your Bible. And then as we finish the book of John, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So be it. The Gospel of John. So, Father, we thank you for this wonderful gospel that, that we had the privilege of studying and finishing this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the encouragement of this chapter to us. Lord, as we, Lord, just see your, your forgiveness and your compassion and your restoration given to Peter, knowing that you want to do that same work in us. And Father, I do pray this morning, if there's anyone here at this service, that maybe you've never opened up the door of your heart to Jesus. He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And he desires to come and to forgive you, to save you, and to dine with you, to fellowship with you. He's the only one that can forgive you. He's the only one that died for you. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. He took all of your sin upon himself. He made atonement for your sins. He was the propitiation, the satisfaction for your sin. No one else did that. No one else could do that. And he was put into a grave, and he rose from the grave, and he's alive. He conquered sin and death. He validated what he did on Calvary's cross. And so the Bible says that we're all sinners. There's a sin problem, and the wages of sin is death. It separated us from a relationship with God. But Jesus is the only mediator, the one who died for us, to bridge that gap, to bring forgiveness and eternal life, and now right relationship with the Father. And it comes by faith, faith alone. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't merit it. It comes by believing, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and then believing in your heart the Lord Jesus was raised from the grave. Then you shall be saved, as Romans 10 declares to us. And if that's you this morning, today is the day of salvation. He wants to save you, be your Lord and Savior. Will you yield to him and come to him? Turn direction, repent, and, and come to Jesus right now, right where you're sitting. You pray, Jesus, I come to you. I give my life to you, my heart to you. I am a sinner, and I confess it, and I ask that you would forgive me. And Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart, and I let you in that you may sit upon the throne of my heart and be the Lord of my life. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. And for all of us, Lord, may we just stay close to you, knowing that you desire to do exceedingly abundantly 
above all that we ask or think. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand? If anybody made a decision for the Lord, would you come up and pray with Pastor John? And we got something we want to give to you to encourage you. But if you need prayer for anything, please come up and receive prayer so we can pray with you and for you. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Book of Psalms. We'll start at Psalm uh, 10 and uh, just study God.